0: Let me ask how many read Job chapter 41 and chapter 42? Okay, see a couple of hands, three hands, okay, all right. Uh, We're going to, four hands, okay, great. Um, We're going to look at some fairly major excerpts of those chapters this evening. And uh, we're talking about the animals that were on the ark. And so again, this is a historical account. It really happened as it was laid out for us in the book of Genesis. And the purpose of this study, studying about the flood in Noah's day, the Genesis flood is what we ought to call it. Some people will call it, and I find myself slipping into that, referring it to referring to it as the as Noah's flood. You know, it wasn't Noah's flood, it was God's flood, but it was it was laid out for us in Genesis. And so that's the the scriptural context there. And so we can remember it as the Genesis flood properly. And this study I have tried to design and I continue to design it, We'll look at some more aspects of how the flood, affected the earth. And we've already talked about why it happened, looking at it in scripture in Genesis chapter six, because the wickedness of mankind had become so extreme that the thoughts and intents of his heart were only evil continually. And so mankind had become evil on a scale that we probably would say, uh, wow, it's hard to imagine. The thoughts and intents of his heart were only evil continually, Genesis chapter six and verse five. And then God emphasized the evil, the wickedness of mankind two or three more times within the next few verses of scripture. This particular study I've tried to design to help us be strong in our faith, to have confidence in God's word. And understand that this is not some myth some mythological story it's not something that that uh, somebody wrote uh, made up and wrote down you know to try to control people and and make them stay true to whatever you know they wanted them to stay true to this This is a true historical event. it happened, and so we've looked at it from a a, a rational and a logical perspective, seeing how the ark was absolutely large enough to take care of the animals that were on the ark as well as the eight souls that lived there. We saw uh, through numerous slides that I've shared with you that that there was plenty of room for the storage, uh, also for the the cages, and we've emphasized that the animals did not have to be full grown. And also we've emphasized that a whole lot of the animals that were saved in the ark were small to begin with because a whole lot of the animals in the face of the earth are small. Uh, when you're talking about some of the larger ones, again, they did not have to be full grown. So we looked at examples of how they could have been caged as well and taken care of. And so there was food for the animals. There was water for the animals. There was food and water for the uh, human beings who were there, Noah and his family. There's plenty of room for them to have Living quarters not six room houses but, but you know living quarters, place to cook you know place to fix, prepare the meals and everything. Uh, we even looked at a, at, a, at a you know reasonable facsimile of a potential oven for cooking. We saw all of that. We also emphasized that when we're talking about how many animals were on the ark we're not talking about uh, every Every different species, or every different breed of dog or cow or cat or whatever we're talking about kinds, and so different kinds can breed between themselves, and we, we looked at examples of that as well. Now, <clears throat> when we see this in Genesis chapter six, beginning with verse 19, God sent two of every clean kind and seven of every I'm sorry of every unclean kind, and seven of every clean kind. Now, it seems reasonable to me that, that, you know, the unclean only had two of, of each kind saved on the ark. Uh, the, the clean kind, God apparently wanted them to be able to populate more readily and have more of their, of their number on the earth. And also the number for, the, the reason for seven instead of just six or, you know, and, and I think probably it's reasonable to understand seven literally three pairs and then one extra because when the flood was over and Noah and his family exited the ark then Noah began offering sacrifices to God from the clean animals and so there would have been that that one odd number with it among the clean animals of every living thing of all flesh you should bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you and they shall be male and female, of the birds of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, again, kinds, and of every creeping thing in the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And then in chapter seven, just a few verses later in verses two and three, you shall take with you seven of each of every clean animal, a male and his female, two each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female, also seven each of birds of the air, male and female to keep the species alive in the face of all the earth. Well, okay. So then we, <clears throat> we, we asked the question, were there dinosaurs on the ark? And if so, how could they have fit on the ark? Well, were there dinosaurs on the ark? Now, when you look at people, you know, biologists and so on who will talk to you about, from a framework, from a perspective, a mindset of evolution, they'll say, well, now, if if there was a flood, first they probably wouldn't believe in, in the Genesis flood to begin with. But if they believed in the flood, if they said, okay, it could have been, there could not have been dinosaurs. One little boy, just recently I said something about, you know, dinosaurs and he said well you know living with dinosaurs he said you would have had to have been 30 million years old or that would have had to have been 30 million years ago because that's what they tell us because of a particular kind of theory of dating the earth and the basis of geologic strata and we're going to have one particular lesson in this or section in this study on that um, but they'll say the different strata that is the layers of the earth as they build up all of that happens at a concentric, in a concentric way, in a uniform uh, kind of time frame, and so we say that this, this layer of strata, it, 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 it's laid down within so many thousands or hundreds of thousands of years and then this one and this one this one and this one. Well, but they don't under, they, they don't take into account that if there's a catastrophic event, a catastrophic event, that can turn all of that upside down and backwards and inside out. And we'll talk about that. So but were there dinosaurs in the ark? And and you know, there's no reason to be afraid of the of, of the reality that dinosaurs roam this earth at some time. Yeah, that does, not, that does not threaten our faith. It does not threaten anything that the Bible says. And as I said, as we look at different, a different understanding of the dating process as to how old the earth is and how long there's been life on this earth, we'll see that, that they really could have fit in right along with mankind. And in fact, we're gonna look at that from a scriptural perspective this evening. That's why I wanted you to read Job chapters 41 and 42 uh, before this evening. Some of you did and, and the rest of us, we will look at this and, and hopefully it'll really enlighten us. Now, what we're talking about is dinosaurs walk the earth at the same time man walked the earth. And so again, the dinosaurs, the most of those were along the same size as we look at most animals on the earth today. There were some varieties of dinosaurs that were much larger, but once again, there did not need to be full grown dinosaurs on the ark, just as there did not need to be full grown cows or elephants on the ark or giraffes. Okay, so they would have been at least mostly, they would have been reptiles and that would have been unclean animals. So there only would have need, needed to have been two of each on the, each kind of dinosaur. It doesn't necessarily mean two of every variety, but of every kind of dinosaur uh, on the ark and only needed only be two of each. Well, Job chapter 40 and verse six. And Job, we look at Job and we talk about the patience of Job and we talk about that in relation to his faithfulness to God. God allowed the devil to work him over in chapters 1 and 2. In the first chapter, he lost most of his holdings as far as his flocks and his herds were concerned. They were almost all gone. And most of his servants were killed and all of his children were killed. And then God gave him more latitude and said, okay. You know, um, uh, Satan said, you know, if if you'll touch his skin, if you'll touch him physically you know hurt him in some way or allow him to be put to the test from from physical suffering then he'll curse you to your face and god said okay you can have some more latitude to tempt or test him try him but you can't take his life and so satan caused grievous sores to break out on so on 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 job's body from the top of his head to the soles of his feet and then some so-called friends came along and started chastising him and, and saying, you know, you must be one really wicked dude for all this to happen to you. And a whole lot of people, especially back during those times and some forward and even some today, they will say if if something really bad happens to a person, that must be a punishment from God because they must have done something really bad. Well, in some cases, maybe, but... Not, I don't think in, in the vast majority of cases, that's how we need to understand things. But Job in his patience, in his determined faithfulness to God, he would not curse him. But if you, if you read closely as the chapters unfold throughout the book of Job toward the end, he's questioning God. And, and so, you know, he's, why is this happening? I have not been living in sin. I have not been wicked. And yet these things are happening. And so finally it's, you know, it's like Job, the student, you know, the young student there, and God steps up and says, okay, let me ask you some questions. And then you get the idea kind of the, you know, the young student Job saying, Lord, about halfway through, if, if you let me, I'll just sit down and shut up now, you know. But he, he, starts, he starts really questioning Job. And so chapters 40, uh, uh, you know, in, in chapter 40 and verse 6, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, uh, beginning with verse 15. I said 40 and, and 41, 42. I think it's 40 and 41. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll get through this. Um, and, and here's God asking Job. Okay, so he says, look now at the behemoth, which I made along with you. Now, I made the behemoth along with you. We're talking about concentric. We're talking about at the same time. So God is saying the behemoth, I made him as I made you and, as, and, and when I made you. And you look at Genesis chapter one, verses 26 and 27, it talks about all the animals that move upon the earth God made on that sixth day. And he also created man on that sixth day. So <clears throat> look now at the behemoth, which I made along with you. He eats grass like an ox. See now his strength is in his hips and his power is in his, in, in his stomach muscles. He moves his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are, di- are tightly knit. His bones are like beams of bronze. His ribs like bronze, bars of iron. He is the first of the ways of God. Only he only he who made him can bring near his sword. Now, only God, in other words, you know, can bring near his sword. Very descriptive language. He's not saying here that, that his bones are made of bronze. His ribs are bars of iron. He's using metaphoric language, and he's saying his, his, his bones are light bronze. They're strong. His ribs are light bars of iron. We're talking about a mighty beast here. He moves his tail like a cedar. Now, what, what, what's a cedar? A tree. His tail's that big. Well, we, we read a little bit further, but what animal in existence today, I would ask you, what animal in existence today would fit this description? A hippopotamus. That's what a lot of people say. They'll say hippopotamus. Pardon me? It says it in there. there. A lot of people have resorted to that. They say, that's a hippopotamus. Well, let me ask you, have you ever seen the tale of a hippopotamus? Yeah, and and that's, that's man's notes. That's notes from man. And as I read some notes from another man who wrote it down, it said, this is an unknown beast to us today. A beast, the identity of which is unknown. Again, you look at the hippopotamus, but some people have tried to just explain away and they said it must be a hippopotamus. Does a hippopotamus have a tail like a cedar? Big as a tree? It's a little tiny tail, isn't it? Can't be a hippopotamus then. Pardon me? No, No, he moves his tail like a cedar you know, a hippopotamus wags his tail kind of like a small dog, you know, it's his tail small, you know, and, and, and there would be no, no reason to say he moves his tail like a cedar. If, if it's just more like a twig of a cedar. And so we need to understand you know, what animal in existence today would fit this description. He's so powerful. His tails like a cedar and his bones are like beams of bronze and his ribs are like bars of iron. Well, how about um, maybe something like this? You know, we have the fossil evidence that dinosaurs existed on this earth. There's no question about it. And there's no need to try to explain it away or deny them. Again, it does not attack our faith. There's no, there's no threat to our belief in God and his creator. God, remember what God told, Noah, uh, told uh, Noah back here, or Job rather. I made him like I made you or as I made you. Well, or or maybe how about something like this? Tails like cedars. Strengthen their hips. Mighty strong beast. Okay. Or maybe something like this. Fit the description, wouldn't it? Or something like that would fit the description. And, and so Plausibility, or maybe this—that's everybody's favorite, right? Looks like a T-Rex. And notice before, you know, in our last section in this study, I just posed a picture of some men taming a dinosaur. Again, there's no question they existed. We see the tracks. We see we have bone fossils and so on. But, and we said, well, no, who could tame a dinosaur? We read from James that every beast has been tamed by man. And so we we have trained elephants to stand on one foot on a small stump. We have trained elephants to actually be beasts of labor for us, why not dinosaurs? Okay. Well, let's move on in the scripture text here. In Genesis chapter 41, verses one through three, you can draw, God goes on and he's he's asking uh, Noah, these probing questions, or Job rather, these probing questions. Can you draw out Leviathan with a hook? What is Leviathan? Again, we don't know. There's no animal on earth, either on land or sea that, is referred to as Leviathan. Can you draw out Leviathan with a hook or, or snare his tongue with a line which you lower? So obviously Leviathan lives in the sea, at least in some case in the water, in some, to some extent because he's talking about catching him as you would catch a fish. Can you put a reed through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many supplications to you? Will he speak softly to you? And drop down to verse 12. I will not conceal his limbs, his mighty power, or his graceful proportions. Who can remove his outer coat? Who can approach him with a double bridle? Who can open the doors of his face? With his terrible teeth all around, his rows of scales are his pride, shut up tightly with a seal. One is so near another that no air can come between them. He's talking about what we would look at as natural armor. Isn't he and there are animals today or fish or whatever that their their scales they they kind of produce a natural armor uh, To a degree at least and they're joined one to another they stick together cannot be parted and notice this his sneezings flash forth light, his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning, out of his mouth go burning lights, sparks of fire shoot out, smoke goes out of his nostrils, as from a boiling pot and burning rushes, his breath kindles coals, and a flame goes out of his mouth. We're not talking about a storybook tale here, we're not talking about fiction. Remember, God asked asked Job, "Can you tell me how these these animals came to be? I created them as I created you or when I created you?" Can you tell me? This is God speaking, saying, "I created them with you." They were here as and they were there in Job's day is what we need to understand from the language of the text. They existed And so we read a little bit further, beginning with verse 22. Strength dwells in his neck and sorrow dances before him. The folds of his flesh are joined together. They are firm on him and cannot be moved. His heart is as hard as a stone, even as hard as the lower millstone. That's pretty, again, pretty descriptive as to the the strength and everything. When he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid because of his crashings. They are beside themselves because of his crashings they're beside themselves. Think about that. Keep that in your mind for a few moments. Verse 26, though the sword reaches him, it cannot avail, nor does spear, dart, or javelin. In other words, they don't do any harm to him. He regards iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood. In other words, they're just not strong enough to do him any harm. The arrow cannot make him flee. Sling stones become like stubble to him. Darts are regarded as straw. He laughs at the threat of javelins. His undersides are like sharp potsherds. He spreads pointed barks in the mire. And then we read a little further down to verse 31. He makes the deep boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. That sounds kinda like what we know octopus can do, but it's interesting, intriguing. He goes on here and he says, he leaves a shining wake behind him. One would think the deep had white hair. On earth, there is nothing like him. On earth, there is nothing like him, which is made without fear. That's a pretty amazing description of this animal, isn't it? This beast of the sea or of the water. And God's asking Job, can you tell me who made this or how this came to be? I made him like I made you. And obviously Job understood exactly what God was talking about. Otherwise, he would have been puzzled at God's questions. What do you mean? I never heard of anything like this. But Job knew exactly what God was talking about. Well, how about something like this maybe? His crashings, if he comes up out of the sea and smashes down and near a boat or some kind of, of vessel, that would certainly, something so big and powerful would certainly scare things, scare the sailors. What, what in existence compares to this description of an animal that was alive in Job's day? And here's some other just, you know, obviously artist conceptions. And, and so we look at all of these and we wonder, you know, what was God talking about? But when we think about the possibility of, of dinosaurs, then we see, well, yeah, okay. They were mighty beasts like nothing we see on the earth today. We keep, we keep hearing of reports of the Loch Ness Monster. Now, okay, I don't know. But we, I think we hear reports of other sea creatures that sailors or ship captains will see from time to time in different places. And so are there any, is there anything like that alive today? Well, maybe, you know. But if not, the, the, the natural question would be, well, what happened to the dinosaurs if they existed? What happened to all the other species of animals that used to exist that we know existed on the earth that are not here today? You know, they died out. And when we look at another section of this study that talks about the atmospheric conditions around the earth in those days as compared to what we understand today, probably vast difference. And so perhaps atmospherically, you know, the dinosaurs, at, one, at some point just could not continue to live on the Earth. Again, we're talking about primarily reptiles, and reptiles are cold-blooded animals, and part of the parts of the Earth probably were not cold-natured until after the flood. And we'll talk about that in another section of this study. But we don't need to be afraid of the existence of dinosaurs, God's describing something that we certainly do not see in existence today. And again, a whole lot of different species of animals have gone into extinction. Yet we know they were here because we've got the fossil evidence. And in some cases we we see that, okay, yeah, we used to see this particular kind of animal, but there's no evidence of it anywhere anymore. That extinction continues to take place. So yeah, I think there were dinosaurs on the ark. But they were like all the other animals. They were on the ark. And so again, we don't need to be afraid. It does not challenge our faith. It simply gives us a broader perspective of life during that time. When we look at just the history of mankind and the populations, uh, we see the earth today in a way that is probably vastly different than it was in the days of the flood. The flood changed things. Well, God can change each one of us, our lives through the gospel of Christ if we will simply let him and let that message of forgiveness and salvation and redemption if we'll let that change us it can change us now that's not going to happen to us automatically we have to yield to those teachings when Jesus said to come to me he, he left the coming to him up to us When Jesus told the apostles to go into all the earth, uh, go throughout all, all the world and preach the gospel to all creation, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. That believing and obedience through baptism, that's up to us. But if we believe the message, if we will implement that and make that the guiding force in our lives, then God's word can change us. As Paul wrote in Romans 1 and verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. The believing part and the responding part is up to us. If you're ready to become a Christian, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Christ as God's son and your Lord and Savior, and being baptized into him for the remission of your sins this very evening, we encourage you to take that step. If you need the prayers of the church, please step forward or talk with us privately. Let us know. If you need to study further, we're here. Just ask us. We'll study with you. If you need to come, our invitation song is number 913. And let us stand and sing.